Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition. Justin Verlander nearly throws a no-hitter on a night that we get a no-hitter in Major League Baseball. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined here in the studio by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today on this Hump Day edition slash Way Back Wednesday edition slash Foodie Poll Question of the Week edition. There's a lot of hyphens for our middle of the week show. <laughs> I just realized there's a lot of a lot of hyphens going on in the description of our our Wednesday show. There's one more hyphen than there is in my own name <laughs> in the name of our show. <laughs> Miss hyphenated herself has spoken. Yes. There's a lot going on on Wednesday edition. Throwback, the way back Wednesday edition. It's going to be nothing but Southern Rock today. Boom. Just letting you know. That's that's how we're going to roll today in RP3 and company. we got a great food question of the day as well. And, of course, we got three great guests for you. The Mad Dog. Mr. Hollywood, cruise ship, oh, and award-winning columnist reporter Ron Higgins will be joining us to talk all things LSU, who came off a mercy rule win last night at Alex Box Stadium over poor southeastern Louisiana. Dan McDonald, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, and the man who is the play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajuns, he's going to be joining us at 8 o'clock today, live from Mobile to help us preview the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament and also get his thoughts on baseball. Who got a hard-fought rally win last night at Rice. And then at 8.30, we're going to talk NBA playoffs with our friend from the Bleacher Report, Dan Favalli. Last night, bit of a snooze fest as they were both routes Can those series be extended or have the higher seeds now taking control? So we're going to talk a little LSU, a little Cajuns, a little NBA with our three guests today. Of course, we'd love to take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we got to start off today with the Houston Astros. Winners of now eight straight. That's eight in a row. 
Verlander has been pitching like he's 28 years old again. It's ridiculous how good he is post-Tommy John surgery. He was dealing last night, had the no-hitter heading into the eighth inning. Finally gave up a hit there. It was the eighth time in his career that Verlander is taking a no-hit bid into the eighth inning. Only gave up the one hit, no runs, five strikeouts as the Astros begin their road trip up in Minnesota with a 5 nothing victory. That is now eight in a row. I tried to say, I tried to inform, panicking Astro fan in April, pump the brakes. I'm showing you the data. They always start off slow. Their record in April is the same as it was the last five years, essentially. They'll turn things around. They'll be just fine. Now they've won a trip. And the Twins are actually pretty good. Leading their division. So this is not beating up on poor Detroit. This is a pretty good opponent. They go on the road and just put the whooping on. And look, you're not going to get eight innings of shutout baseball from Verlander every time he goes out there. We know that. But this guy has been pitching on another level. Once again, we've talked about it. The additional time off recovering from Tommy John surgery has really aided Verlander. There was talk of, remember, bringing him back last year. And then they made the decision not to. And that was the wisest decision because that just gave him additional time to fully recover from having Tommy John surgery, which used to be a career ender. Now, he looks refreshed. Now, he looks like the guy he was five years ago. I mean, he was carrying a no-hitter into the eighth inning. He's 40. 40 and coming off Tommy John. Phenomenal pitching from Verlander. Alex Bregman had himself quite the night. At the dish, the former LSU star went two for three at the plate, drove in two runs, also drew a walk. Altuve and Brantley scored. Brantley also had a phenomenal play out in the outfield to keep the no-hitter going in this ballgame. Yuli Gurriel got himself a hit. He's been struggling. Pena, the rookie, once again, doesn't seem like the stage is too big for him. He drove in two runs, also showed enough discipline to draw two walks. Complete team effort yet again from the Strohs. 5 nothing victory. They're going to play again in Minnesota tonight. 
They're going to keep it rolling. They're going to look to make it nine straight. 6.40 first pitch. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. Strohs at Twins. But now you look at the standings. And for a team that was struggling to begin the season, found itself down towards the bottom of the standings. There they are. They're only a game back of the Angels now in the AAL West. That's it. They're five and a half games up on Seattle. The fighting Hannah Five Names is is now 14 and 17 overall in the season. They're struggling. Only a game back of the Angels. That's nothing. And they just took down the Twins, who are six games above 500 and lead the American League Central by two and a half games. So this is going to be a good series for the Astros. You already built up the momentum by taking down the Mariners, sweeping the Mariners, who are fading. Detroit is rebuilding. They're not very good. So you you piled up wins against teams that are struggling. But going up there and shutting out Minnesota in their ballpark, Target Field, I do believe it's called, even though I've never been. To start off a road trip, it's phenomenal. And the reason why they're still only they're still a game back of the Angels is because, well, they had themselves quite the day last night, or night rather, as Angels rookie Reed Detmers throws a no-hitter against the Tampa Bay Rays. He'd been called up to the big leagues last year, had about 10 starts, pretty forgettable stuff. But the lefty, well, he got after it through the no-no against the Rays. Of course, they gave him plenty of run support, 12 to be exact. So, yeah, as as Kevin Foote would say, uh, the Angels may have scored too many runs, and that's what he's hoping they did. That way Tampa can have a shot at this series. Second no-hitter already thrown this season. But it's the first time that a rookie has thrown a no-no. Or the youngest pitcher, rather, to throw a no-no since Annabelle Sanchez did it back in 2006. So, looked like Verlander was going to have a no-hitter. That gets broken up in the eighth inning. And what was funny about that is at the same time that Verlander was throwing or trying to throw his no-hitter, attempting to no-hitter, they were also attempting one in the Astros' AAA team, the Space Cowboys down in Sugarland. Brandon Belock was throwing a no-hitter during the same time, which is kind of neat. They don't get the no-no, but the Astros do get the win. The Angels rookie, he does get the no-hitter, the second one this season in Major League Baseball. But the Strohs, look, I've been saying I like Seattle long-term to get one of those wild-card spots. 
they gotta they gotta turn things around. But the Angels have talent. The problem for the Angels is that they've never been able to kind of put that together, despite having quote unquote generational talents like Mike Trout and Shohan Otani. They've never been able to be you know a playoff team or a team with a winning record. It feels like early on this season that maybe they've turned that corner and that they could be the team that's going to be battling the Astros for the AL West crown and battling for a wild card spot. Still way early. It is a 162-game season. But the Strohs, ever since it turned to May, Houston has been absolutely on fire. Now they've won eight straight after last night's phenomenal pitching performance by Justin Verlander who took a no-hitter into the eighth inning as the Strohs would go on to win 5-0 over the Minnesota Twins. Once again, game two of this midweek series will be tonight. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. 6:41 first pitch, Robert Ford, Steve Sparks on the call live from Minneapolis. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on this way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and company. I I understand why this calms down, Kevin. Just makes good sense. We'll talk more baseball, but the collegiate variety. LSU, Mercy Rule victory. UL gets a victory on the road themselves. We'll recap that for you coming up next, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to this way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts the third, 623 on this lovely Wednesday morning. Houston Astros get the five to nothing win over the Minnesota Twins on the road. They extend their winning streak to now eight in a row. Verlander takes a no-hitter into the eighth inning. Jeremy Pena, the young rookie shortstop, comes up big with a run. Alex Bregman gets a couple of hits as well. For the Strokes. There was a no-hitter thrown last night in Major League Baseball, even though Verlander comes up just short as a rookie. A rookie? Yeah, a rookie. Reed Detmers for the Los Angeles Angels pitches a no-hitter in a 12-0 victory for the Angels over the Tampa Bay Rays. He becomes the youngest pitcher to throw a no-no since Annabelle Sanchez did so in 2006. But that wasn't the only action on the diamond last night that we need to get to. A couple of midweek ball games for us to discuss. LSU baseball found themselves in a dogfight for about four innings, really. 
They took an early lead in last night's midweek contest at Alex Box Stadium versus the Southeastern Lions of the Southland Conference. Yet, that dogfight quickly became a lopsided affair. It's just funny how baseball works that way. You just go from being a really tight game to all of a sudden the end result is 17-3 to in a game called off by both coaches after the seventh inning. <laughs> what? If you were monitoring or you're listening to the game here on our station, it's a 2-1 game heading to the fourth. And then LSU says, eh, let's go ahead and just plate nine runs in the third inning. Nine. Nine. Ridiculous. Trey Morgan, that kid is special. Led LSU's offensive outburst Tuesday night with three hits and five ribbies as the Tigers pulled away, I guess would be a nice way to describe that. 17 to 3 over the Lions. Once again, both coaches decided to implement the NCAA rule that allows the contest to be declared complete if one team has a lead of 10 runs or more at the seven inning mark. Tigers improved to 33 and 15 on the year. Gavin Dugas, boy, he sure does look like he's coming back into form after the injuries. He led off the bottom of the first with a home run, his fourth of the year, to give the Tigers that quick 1-0 lead. But Southeastern tied the game in the second inning on a solo home run by Christian Garcia, his fourth of the season. And you're thinking, uh-oh, we got some issues. But then came the nine runs. Dugas hit a two-run single. Morgan had a two-RBI single. A two-run double by Braden Bear, your DH, and a run-scoring single by catcher Tyler McManus. Everyone got involved as they crushed the poor faces of Southeastern 17-3. Now LSU, Jay Johnson's team, will turn their attention to a three-game set against Ole Miss. Now Ole Miss has had an awful year. Probably are going to part ways with their longtime head coach. They're at the bottom of the standings. They're not having as bad or disappointing of a year as, say, Mississippi State is. You're defending national champs who may not make the SEC tournament now. They're in danger of not even making the conference tournament. Bit of a uh, medicine season, as Kevin Foote would say, for the Bulldogs over in Stark Vegas. But they got a three-game set coming up. And once again, LSU, as the season has, has progressed, even though they have issues, that timely hitting sometimes comes and goes, what in the tar nation are they going to do about Blake Money? He looked like he was going to be their number one pitcher this season. Now you don't even know if you can throw him. Honestly. And I don't know if they have enough pitchers to win a regional. They got the lineup. And you got Hilliard, who has been very good. But after that, eh, I don't know where you turn into. But right now, they'll have to worry about that problem later. Right now, it's just closing out the regular season strong. And you can't let a bad team like Ole Miss come into Alex Box Stadium and steal a couple of games and steal a series from you. 
Doesn't matter if it's pretty. Doesn't matter if it looks good. As long as they get the job done moving forward, they can build up some momentum and earn themselves a regional host bid. Because that's what they're that's where they're trending towards. They went from just a few weeks ago being the number two seed in the Coral Gables regional. That's what they were projected to be, which was going to be one of the toughest regionals in the country, to now hosting their own regional. So they got to keep that momentum going. Can't let it up. Just can't. While LSU was crushing the faces of southeastern Louisiana, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns were on the road in Texas. They're playing two midweek games this week, both against Rice, a traditional power with great success, College World Series success, that's been on, let's be honest, a downturn the last five years or so. The program is not what it used to be. But a good midweek opponent for the Raging Cajuns as they gear up for a key series this weekend in San Marcos when they're taking on Texas State, who is currently the number one team in the standings in the Sunbelt Conference. That's going to be a huge series to determine who's going to win the regular season championship and who's going to get seated, how they're going to be seated for the conference tournament in Montgomery. So a nice little tune-up, if you will, over in Houston. Well, Raging Cajuns answered the bell. They scored five runs late to post a 7-3 comeback win over the Rice Owls. This was a bit of a back-and-forth affair as well early on. Cajuns plate those five runs late to seize the momentum, seize the lead, and hold on to it. Carson Rockefort delivered a go-ahead RBI single in the seventh inning. And the two teams are going to face off again tonight at Reckling Park. This is a good, good little midweek contest for the Raging Cajuns. You're not going to get a ton of help with your RPI by taking on Rice. Well, at least not this year's Rice team. You're just not. But it does help because it's on the road. Look, it's tough to win on the road. It just is. It's just tough to win on the road. Rice is down. Yeah, they're 13 and 34 this year. 6 and 18 in Conference USA. That's not good. That's pop on. It's not good at all. But being challenged on the road, and I said this before, UTA was the worst team, is the worst team, rather, in the Sunbelt Conference. And the Cajuns had to beat them by one run each game this past weekend at the Teague. That's good. And, 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 and why I say that is this, and someone asked me why you say it. That allows Deggs and his staff to keep his team humble because they had played themselves into a position to earn an at-large bid to an NCAA regional. To be tested by a team that's struggling allows you to kind of reset yourself, allows the coaching staff to reset the team, reset the message, to look at those young men and go, hey, you thought you were doing really good, but guess what? We still have work that needs to be done. We're not a finished product. We can be had. We can be beaten any single day that we take the field. That allows the coaches to kind of refocus, fire up the team, kind of push the team a little bit more. 
which is exactly what you want before you head over to take on the team with the best record in the Sunbelt Conference. So Cajuns, they get the win. They'll play yet again tonight. They're at Reckling Park, home of the Rice Owls, for their second midweek contest before heading over to San Marcos for a three-game set this weekend. LSU, they got their win against Southeastern in mercy rule fashion. They gear up for Ole Miss this week. And, of course, the entire three-game series against the Rebels can be heard right here on the game this coming weekend. You're home for LSU Athletics in Acadiana and Lake Charles. All of Southwest Louisiana. Oh, we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll take your phone calls. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll give you the latest news involving the New Orleans Saints. Interesting news about the Honey Badgers contract. Jarvis Landry rumors are heating up. Oh, and we'll unveil our foodie poll question of the week. That's all coming up next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you or your contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. There's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811 Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. It's Wednesday which means it's a foodie poll question of the week. It's a tough one. It's a difficult one, if you will. It always is, right? It always gets people fired up. What's the best way to eat an egg? We want to know. What's the best way to eat an egg? Is it scrambled? Is it fried? Is it over easy? Or is it hard-boiled? Let's go to our (laughs) vote tally right now. 47% say over easy. 26% apiece say scrambled and fried. No votes yet for the healthier option of boiled eggs. 
JPK, the OD, has spoken, as he typically does early in the mornings. Over easy on a burger while slightly hung over on a Saturday morning at the Lafayette Farmer's Market from question mark, question mark, there's 18 question marks here. Pop up <laughs> while following your family around while they buy overpriced homemade soap with your hard-earned money. Hashtag know your role. Hashtag no free ads. Outstanding. I do like a good egg on a burger. If it's done right, it's delicious. Ton on Twitter says, fried is the way to go. There's nothing better for a bourbon hangover from what I've heard. <laughs> JPK the OT says, mmm, bourbon. Is it RP3's fantasy football draft party time again? Hashtag alcohol and bad decisions. Hart on Twitter says, I can make a case for each one depending on the dish it's with. Individually, I would say scrambled is my go-to, but a fried egg on a burger is top tier. So much internal conflict on this one. Touche, guys. Touche. That's what we're here for. It calls stress for you in the morning. This is all because I was watching yes. a video. Not just about eggs. It was about these guys called the slow-mo guys, and they literally took a bullet, and they had it shoot across at like different frames per second through an egg so i was like hmm poll question how to eat an egg i love Just eggs. watching an egg crack over and over again. i love eggs john <laughs> paul on twitter says flip them over that's what you need to do with a little cheese on top and here comes steve who would have thought <laughs> our buddy salty steve would come in with the fanciness Omelette is not an option. I, I, I just hear, omelette is not an option. Crab and cream cheese omelette is my go-to when I eat eggs. Well, is it someone fancy? Sounds like Steve also uses Grey Poupon all the time. <laughs> Lifestyles of the rich and famous here with Mr. Flint. See, I, I've never had a crab and cream cheese I have not omelette. Either. Sounds fancy. It sounds like something I can't afford. Sounds like something when I'd go to the restaurant and try to order, I'd get the look of, huh? baby, what you doing? I try to give like the most like obvious answers the way to eat an egg, but like my favorite way to eat eggs is not on the list either. I like hobo eggs. You like what? Hobo eggs or eggs in a basket or egg in a hole or hole in one. You you take a piece of bread. And you take like any kind of little small cup, use like a kitty cup, and you cut out the hole in the middle of the bread, and you crack the egg in there. So it's still a fried egg, but it's inside of, of bread. That's so it's like an egg in a basket. That's technically that's a fried egg. Yes, but you don't call it a fried egg. No, you call no. it eggs in a basket, or hobo <laughs> eggs, or hole in one, or egg in a hole. But it's a fried egg. But you have a ketchup on too. So the component <laughs> of the egg, the egg component, is fried. Thus, a fried egg. Yes. So you should vote fried egg on the poll question. I guess I should, but... Mr. Cajun says, get him, Steve. Apparently, crab and cream cheese omelets <laughs> are being dined upon by the fancy people of Acadiana. Who knew Steve was so fancy? But do you put it inside of the omelet? Like well, you put yeah, it inside of the egg? Or do you put the but cream cheese, you put it on inside, you put it on top? Because it would be hot. I don't egg, know. So you'd melt it. I don't know. Mine's blown. Could, could, could this... Could what Steve has done by showcasing, unveiling his fanciness, could this be the game changer that we had last year on this show when we were introdu introduced to crab-boiled turkey, crawfish-boiled turkey? I mean, could, this, could this be changing? Could this, could this open up our first. eyes? 
but I mean, Hart never brought it to us, so I can't say that it's really game changing because we haven't tried it yet. And we even tried this, so I guess we're going to where he said, because no free ads, where to go and to order it. <laughs> now, see, when I was a kid, my grandmother, her go-to for breakfast, my old German grandmother was making fried egg sandwiches. Mm. And it wasn't just one layer. Like, my grandmother, God bless her. That's the reason why all of her sons were well over 300 pounds. It's fine. <laughs> Because that's all she did. You would eat, and then 30 minutes later, have a snack. Little women, you're so small. Eat a snack. You're so small. Grandma, I am 300 pounds. I am not small. (laughs) (laughs) But that was her thing, Grandma. You know, Grandmas want to feed you. So she'd make a fried egg sandwich, but it'd be a a layer of toast, and then egg, cheese, meat, then another layer of toast. So she she would make a double-decker egg sandwich, fried egg sandwich. That was her go-to. And I wonder why I'm so massive. But I have taken that, like, just thing that she would make. And my daughter and my wife, like, every Saturday, that's what I'll make. But I'll do a scrambled version of it because they prefer my scrambled eggs. Mm. So I make an egg sandwich. Here's the thing. We made scrambled eggs. Do you or do you not put milk in it? I put milk in mine. Kevin won't put milk in his. He won't do it. I was like, they make them fluffier. Yes. They look better. And he goes, Yeah, that's why you do they it. They still taste good. I said, I t- <sighs> Yeah, you make them fluffier. He kills me with that. But yeah, no, it's the same thing. It's, 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 a tri- it's a trick I learned in the restaurant business. Yeah. When I worked restaurants, yeah. But you do put ketchup on fried eggs. That's. Not on not. fried eggs, but on scrambled mm-hmm. eggs, yes. I don't put on scrambled eggs. Put cheese on scrambled eggs. You do it like right before they're like fully done, oh, like they're still liquidy, that's you put cheese on top. There it is. Put some little cayenne pepper on there. See? Ooh. Poll question of the day. Hungry. Yeah, we do this. I, I forgot both to bring us, food too today. Both, so, uh, <laughs> both of us are on a diet. I'm pretty for certain that delightful salad I brought, that wedge salad I brought for lunch, and the yogurt for my mid morning snack, that's going to taste the same as all this delicious fried egg talk that we're speaking of. Yes. I and whatever nuts, fanciness so, Steve right. has brought to the table. Right. Now I'm intrigued. Got to try one of those. How can I get my hands on one of those? DM us, Steve. He did. He did. Of course he did. We'll, we'll talk did. about we can't we, we hashtag no free ads, but yes. we will but. we will go over where we can get our hands <laughs> on that. <laughs> that's because don't worry. That's the type of people we are. I want to talk on some Saints news, okay? Because I found this interesting. We know Mickey Loomis and company are wizards when it comes to the salary uh, to their salaries, right? Mm-hmm. They are notorious for turning base salaries into signing bonuses to free up more salary cap space. Well, you know, they have the draft. They take care of that. Then they go out and they sign Honey Badger. Great move. Going to be another stud on that side of the football. Great move, impact player. Great for the locker room. Whole nine yards. He checks all the boxes if you're a Saints fan. Well, Nick Underhill, who I trust more than really anyone else when it comes to Saints news, insider information. Says Tyron Matthews cap number this year is going to be only three point four million. That's it. The three year deal were thirty three million, eighteen mil of it guaranteed. This year's cap hit is only going to be a paltry three point four million, which, according to Nick, leaves the Saints with about sixteen million in cap space remaining. Well. They got to sign their rookie 
their two first rounders, which is going to eat into that cap space. And then they got to sign their second rounder, right? But those contracts are regulated. So they're still going to have money to play with here. And the fact that Honey Badger's cap hit is only going to be $3.4 million could pave the way for having another former LSU star return home. And that's Jarvis Landry. Reports coming out that Jarvis and his team tried multiple times during the offseason to figure out a way for him to come back to Cleveland. And the Browns allegedly said no at every turn. So Cleveland told Jarvis Landry, thanks, but no thanks. We're not interested in your services. Move on. Where does Jarvis go? Now, he's going to have some suitors. Baltimore makes a lot of sense. The Ravens need a wide receiver, and they need a reliable pass catcher for Lamar Jackson. But if you're Jarvis, I don't know what you do here. Because he's going to get a contract from someone, and he could get that from Baltimore and go play for the Ravens and get lined up with Lamar Jackson, who's a former league MVP. But Baltimore is an interesting place right now. Because Lamar's also in the last year of his rookie deal. And the Ravens haven't re-signed him. If you're Jarvis, do you go there without the certainty that they're going to have stability at the quarterback position for years to come? Do you want to go there and after one year Lamar hits the free agency market and then you're stuck in Baltimore with uh, some scrub? Yes, you get to play your former team. The Browns, because that's a divisional opponent, you get to show them up twice a year. That could be some motivation. But also on the other side of things, the AFC is absolutely loaded. Patriots, Dolphins, Chiefs, Bengals. Broncos got a lot better with Russell Wilson. The Raiders got better with trading for Devontae Adams. It is absolutely loaded in the AFC. A far easier path to get to a Super Bowl is over in the NFC. And do you want to come play for the Saints? Do you want to come play for the home team that you grew up rooting for? We talk about Honey Badger. Look, Honey Badger's jersey sales are going to be out the roof. Jarvis would sell a lot of jerseys as well. He's not as flashy. He's not as big of a name. But if you're Jarvis, do you take a deal to come and play with the Saints and play alongside Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara and play with Jameis Winston and play with that legendary defense? Because I've said this before, guys, players in the league, pay attention. They Look, they always want to get paid. That's always been part of the game. Always. They want to get paid. Make no bones about it. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But when they do make their decisions, and if things are all kind of fair, all uh, even playing field, if you will, comparable money, comparable contracts, Baltimore has a really good defense, and so do the Saints. They pay attention to that kind of stuff. Players pay attention to that because they want to know that the other side of the football is taken care of and that way they can just do what they need to do and they have a chance. Can you imagine if you're a Saints fan? Michael Thomas, 
Chris Olave, they would be on the outside. You'd have Jarvis as your slot wide receiver. Taysom Hill at tight end. Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield. Then you can throw out Deontay Hardy or Callaway or Trent Quan Smith to be your deep threat. I just... The fact that Tyron Matthews' cap number is low gives the Saints flexibility here. Yes, they have to sign their draft picks. But, I don't know, man. This tells me that they're trying to make another move. I could be completely wrong, but this is what that tells me. Hey, time is running out for our Astros weekend getaway. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to take you out to the ball game with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Astros take on the Rangers on May 21st, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse today, this morning at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night's game. Time is running out, though. This Astros Weekend Getaway wraps up this morning. Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Lay Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. Coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, welcome back to this way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. It's all about the Southern Rock today. That's how we're doing it. Oh, love me some Allman Brothers. Coming up in about 40 minutes from right now, less than 40 minutes from right now, Ron Higgins, the mad dog himself from Tiger Details, will join us talking all things LSU. But before we close out our number one, let's check in on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. And we asked you, what is the best way, the best way to eat an egg? Is it scrambled? Is it fried? Is it over easy? Or is it boiled? 41% of you say right now over easy. 28% say fried. 24% say scrambled. 7% of you say boiled. Let's get to some comments, shall we? Hart has commented again. I just thought about a boiled egg and a stew or a gumbo, and now I'm even more conflicted. Tell me why I suggested y'all do this again every week. <laughs> it's right. It's your fault. You have failed. <laughs> You've made this now a terror. This is horror for most people because you're like, oh, that sounds great, and I can't have it. That's going to do it for hour number one of RP3 and company. Hour number two coming up right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition.
Welcome back to RP3 and Company 703 on this Way Back Wednesday edition of our show. About 30 minutes from right now, less than 30 minutes from right now, Ron Higgins will join us. The Mad Dog himself. Talking all things LSU. Baseball, maybe a little basketball recruiting as well. That's all coming up in about half an hour from right now. We've covered a lot of topics so far on this Way Back Wednesday edition of the show. Houston Astros 5-0 victory over the Minnesota Twins. They extend their winning streak now to eight games. Verlander takes a no-no all the way into the eighth inning. Alex Bregman comes up with a pair of hits. And Pena scores a run as well. The rookie continues to be on a tear for the Astros' Carlos Correa's replacement. Stroh's Twins will get after it again tonight. 641st pitch. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Astros Twins from Minneapolis. But as the Stroh's continue to turn things around now that the calendar has turned to May, eight-game winning streak, LSU and the UL baseball teams got themselves some midweek victories as well. LSU breaks open a 2-1 game against Southeastern Louisiana by plating nine runs there in the third inning on the way to a mercy rule victory. A absolute lopsided affair that even surprised some that got called. Typically, you don't see this, but both coaches decide that it was for the best. You don't have to, you don't have to do the mercy rule. Both teams, by the way, have to accept that. Both coaches do. And sometimes they don't. One will be like, hey, can we just call this? And the other team will be like, no, I want the experience. 17-3 final score for LSU over southeastern Louisiana. They'll now gear up for a three-game set at Alex Box Stadium this coming weekend against Ole Miss. The Rebels, they're struggling. Absolutely are. But a series victory is a series victory. And if LSU can get to 17, 18 wins in conference play, that's pretty much going to lock up them hosting an NCAA regional more than likely. So even though Ole Miss is down this year, even though Ole Miss may fire their head baseball coach, which is a distinct possibility, there's still a good possibility that this series can help LSU. Because it's Ole Miss this coming weekend and then on the road at Vandy before the SEC tournament. The UL Raging Cajuns, meanwhile, they're gearing up for a big series this weekend in San Marcos, Texas, against Texas State. The Bobcats lead the Sunbelt Conference. They're atop the standings. They're the best team in the conference. Winner of this weekend series will more than likely determine who wins the regular season championship and earns the number one seed for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament in Montgomery. They had a couple midweek games on the schedule against Rice. Rice is down. Rice is no good. They're not very good this year. They're just not. But you get an opportunity to continue fine-tuning things, and you'd have to do it on the road. And that can only help you. And the Raging Cajuns last night, Carson Rockefort delivers a go-ahead RBI single 
as the Cajuns plate five runs late to win the ball game, seven to three. The two teams will face again, face off again tonight at Reckling Park for the second of the two game little midweek series that they're taking part in. And then the Cajuns will roll on to San Marcos. Big night on the diamond. Not to mention, back in the pros, we had our second no-hitter of the season thrown. Reed Detmers pitched a no-no for the Los Angeles Angels. The rookie becomes the second youngest pitcher to throw a no-hitter. Becomes, I'm sorry, the youngest pitcher to throw a no-hitter since Annabelle Sanchez did so back in 2006. And Verlander nearly had the no-no. Good stuff. Love baseball. Also, more news involving former LSU players. There apparently now is a pipeline to Georgetown. Not really for sure why. Not for sure the connection there. Obviously, you know, Patrick Ewing's the coach there for the Hoyas. He was a great Hoya player, national champion. One of the greatest basketball players to ever live. But Bradley Azero officially transfers to Georgetown. He becomes the third former Will Wade player to do so. Joining Brandon Murray and Kevin Nickelperry, that's all now the roster for the Hoyas. So Georgetown just scooping up former Tigers left and right. Oh, and what we've also touched base on this morning, the interesting news coming out of New Orleans. Tyron Matthews, salary cap number, once again, LSU, I'm sorry, the Saints do it again. Mickey Loomis and his front office personnel do it yet again. Tyron Matthews' salary cap, the former LSU star's salary cap number. That's what I was trying to say. Words are hard. Is minimal. It's barely anything. It's a little over $3 million this year. That's it. That still leaves the New Orleans Saints with Roughly $16 million in salary cap space. That's according to Nick Underhill. What does this mean? Well, it means they have plenty of room to play with. They have plenty of room to play with. Yes, they still need to sign their draft picks. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely. They still need to sign their draft picks. They still need to get after that. They still need to do that. But this also means they have salary cap space to do other things, like maybe bring in another free agent. And could that free agent possibly be Jarvis Landry? Apparently, he's not going back to Cleveland. Reports have now come out. Multiple reports that he and his team tried to work out a deal for him to go back to Cleveland this year, and the Browns apparently weren't interested multiple times. So Jarvis going back to Cleveland looks like it's not going to happen. Now the Baltimore Ravens are a team that makes some sense for the former LSU star. They need a wide receiver. They need a reliable pass catcher for Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. But could the Saints make some sense? He's already met with them. We do know that. 
could Jarvis Landry come to New Orleans? And if you're a Saints fan, do you even allow yourself to think about that? You get Jarvis Landry and it not break the bank? Now you got Michael Thomas on one side, Chris Olave, the rookie out of Ohio State on the other side. You got Jarvis Landry lined up as your slot wide receiver, the old Lance Moore position. Throw Taysom Hill out there at tight end. And Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield? Say what? So, could it happen? I don't know. It feels like it could happen. It feels like they're trying to make sure they have enough money to make some type of move like that, but I don't know. We'll see if it, may, see if it happens. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Jamie, to the show. Jamie, thank you for patiently waiting, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Mr. Third. I'd, I'd like to go in on the poll question of the day. And, oh, uh, the foodie poll question questions. of the week, my friend. Oh, I apologize. The foodie poll question of the week, and then I have uh, two baseball questions for you. And I'll start off with those, and then I, and get my uh, get my poll, and then uh, I'll get off the phone and listen and get out of the way so they can hear your uh, dulcet sounds of your voice over mine. Um, ah. So, I, I, first of all, it's obvious that uh, the Angels pitcher did not have Angel Fernandez or Hernandez as the uh, umpire. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. That probably nice. never would have happened in that game. Uh, but what happened with uh, with Verlander? I mean, this dude, two years since he last pitched, and he looks like a, a, a young phenom pitcher now. I mean, did they – did they give him some extra muscles when they did the surgery? What's going on there? I mean, the dude looks great. Um, what happened with uh, Kim Mulkey's son? Did he get in the game at all? I didn't hear anything about that. He did and not then, record. Uh, he did not record he a stat. He 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 got into the game. Uh, he played some defense, but he didn't get in. Uh, he did not record in an at bat last night in his first game up in the big leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. Gotcha. So. Uh, the question today is the best way to eat eggs, and this is the best option. Here you go. I like my eggs to be beaten and mixed with flour and sugar and chocolate, <laughs> baked in the oven, and served for dessert. Not microwave, Miss Five Names, baked in the oven and served for dessert. All right. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. See, Jamie decides to take the opportunity to bring up cake. <laughs> and my man wants to talk about cake. That's how that that's the only way he likes his eggs. His favorite way to have his eggs is inside a cake. Shout out to Jamie for that. Yes, Kramer Robertson was called up for the Cardinals. Finally makes his major league baseball debut. The former LSU star and kill Mulkey son. Uh did not uh, get an at bat in last night's ball game, but he did get to uh, play in the show, as they like to say. And what once again, Verlander, the time off, I think, has made the big difference. The fact that they didn't rush him back and he had an additional offseason to get prepared, I think, has made all the difference in the world. Now, can Verlander keep up this pace for the rest of the season? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. Doesn't seem likely. Does not seem likely. But, I mean, he is absolutely killing it. Just absolutely killing it.
So Verlander is pitching like a, well, like a two-time Cy Young award winner that he is. Just saying. Once again, Astros, Twins, live from Minneapolis right here on the game tonight. First pitch is 640. Hey, just a reminder that the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome, May 26th to June the 5th. Text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. That's CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Who doesn't like the Cajun Heartland State Fair? Take the family, have a great time. Those ride tickets aren't cheap either. Trust me. Trust me on that. So text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. We're going to take a timeout. Talk a little NBA playoffs when we come back here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Welcome back to this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company 721 on this Wednesday. Appreciate you making us part of your morning commute to work or school. The Mad Dog himself, Mr. Ron Higgins, will be joining us in about 15 minutes from right now. Talk all things LSU. Baseball had a mercy rule run win last night. They're at the box against Southeastern Louisiana. And they'll be welcoming in Ole Miss for a three-game set this coming weekend. But right now, let's talk a little NBA playoffs, shall we? They had a couple games last night, but there was no drama involved with them. And this sometimes happens, particularly with the NBA playoffs, where you'll have a series that becomes immensely competitive. And in both of these instances, they did. Dallas down two games to none, comes back, ties up the evens up the series rather, two games apiece by winning back-to-back games. Same thing happens over in the Eastern Conference with top seed Miami being up two games to none and then having Philly come back on them, evening up the series two games apiece. Well, then you had games five last night. And they were a bit, let's be honest, a bit of a snooze fest. Because the higher seeds easily, easily went out there and picked up wins to take a three games to two lead in each of their series. Now they're each one game away from advancing to the conference finals. The Miami Heat crushed the faces of the Philadelphia 76ers, 120-85. to They set the tone right off the bat with a 31-point first quarter, and they just maintained that lead the rest of the way, and then they closed it out 
by outscoring Philly in the fourth, 39-19. to They made sure that there was no chance of a comeback. There was going to be no chance of anything. And Philly, who got great production from James Harden, the previous game to even the series, well, he had a bad night. He only scored 14 points, 5 of 13 shooting from the field, 2 of 6 from three-point range. Embiid only gave him 17 points. They only had three players score in double figures, Philly did. I don't care who you're playing. You're not going to win many games that way. Miami, meanwhile, the epitome of balanced attack and the epitome of utilizing their depth. All five starters scored in double figures for Miami. Butler led the way with 23 points. But they also had two players come off the bench giving them double-digit points. Balanced attack by Miami. They're now in control in this series, up three games to two. They'll look to close it out in a few days. Also looking to close it out in a few days, the Phoenix Suns. Now, this game was close early on. Dallas actually led after the first quarter, 26-23. to But then Phoenix flipped it on them, had the lead at halftime, and then just put on a masterful third quarter where they held Dallas to only 14 points while they scored 33. They rolled to a 110-80 victory. Once again, another lopsided game five game. I mean, that's I, sometimes happens because the team that's down two games to none has to exert so much energy just to even up the series, right? So much energy, so much emotion just to get it to be like, okay, now we're on even ground again that this typically happens that the team that's the favorite, the team that had the lead, that let it get away from them, then they respond in a big way by crushing the face. And that's what they did. That's what both teams did. That's why they're the one seeds for a reason. That's why Miami's the one seed in the East. That's why Phoenix is the one seed in the West. Luka had an okay game, 28 points, but he was 10 of 23 from the field. So not an efficient game by any stretch of the imagination. Brunson chipped in with 21 points. But they got nothing from anybody else. Really, they didn't. Phoenix, meanwhile, 20 points from DeAndre Aiden, 14 from Bridges, 28 points from Devin Booker. Chris Paul did not have a good night. Another subpar performance by CP3. Only seven points, but he did have the 10 assists. And that made the difference. They also got 14 points from Johnson off the bench. So those series are now three games to two. And Phoenix and Miami will be looking to punch their tickets to their conference finals their next game up. And I would like I like their chances to be able to do that. I, I really do. Because this feels like they just exerted too much energy. Miami will try to close things out on Thursday when they um when they play at Philly, and Phoenix will try to do the same when they play at Dallas. So those series could wrap up on Thursday. Tonight, NBA action. Milwaukee's at Boston. That's knotted up two games apiece. And Golden State will look to close out Memphis on the road at Memphis. John Morant 
is likely done for this series. He will not play yet again because doctors say that he has a severe bone bruise. So he's not going to play, making it far easier for Golden State. But remember, Ja didn't play in the last game, and the Grizzlies had a lead late in that ball game. And they'll be at home. But I still like Golden State to advance. Let's check in on the foodie poll question of the day. Foodie poll question of the day. What? I can't sing? Oh, no, I, I, I can't sing. I love to sing. I can't physically sing. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm not very good at it. This is true. But why not add a little song to the poll question of the day on Wednesdays, which is our foodie poll question of the week? What is the best way to eat an egg? 31% of you say scrambled. 23% say fried. 41% say over easy. Only 5% say boiled. A lot of people talking about putting it on burgers. I'm down for that. That's good. I'm here for it. Herschel says eggs anyway, sandwich, burger, steak, and eggs, omelet, fried, scrambled, and I got to have the milk. I'm a big egg fan. I do like eggs. They're pretty good. They're pretty good? They're pretty good? I mean. They're pretty good, she says. I don't know what to do with you. You know, apparently you can go and... You can crack your eggs. You know, usually you put the whole egg in a pot of water to boil them. You can just put them straight into, like, a big pan that you would make for, like, brownies or something. Crack them open in there, put them in the oven, and it basically boils them just differently. I don't know what weird things you've seen on the TikTok about what to do with eggs. I don't know what that's that about. That's where I get all my random recipes. Is that, that's where you get your random recipes? Yes. Of course it is. Because it's fun. Of course it is. They're all random. And most of them like, look good because they're like picking something up and you pick it up a slice of like, cheese and until yummy. Let's go to Facebook for some yes. comments. Richie Brown says, mixed with other ingredients and baked into a cake. I can respect that. I can respect that. Jude Miller says, over easy between two pieces of toast. Brian says, soft boiled is the way to go. And Blaine says, and a potato salad, so boiled. <laughs> I'm here for that. I love potato yeah. salad, too. I do. But then Nick Gidry goes and says, and potato salad, drizzled with Heinz ketchup. Potato salad. What time? Yes. Time the time ketchup? Out. No. Ketchup on the potato salad? Yes. I don't, I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do with this information. I don't care for it. I don't. I'm just gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't care. Hey, you ketchup, love it. You ketchup love on it, the dude, potato salad. You do you. Yeah. You do you. I'm not. I'm not doing that though. I'm uh-uh. not gonna do that. No. There'll be, there'll be none. It's like that. putting celery in potato salad, or putting relish that actual pickles. Just uh uh-uh, uh. She says. Just uh uh-uh, uh. She says. Mm-mm. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But we've got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Ron Higgins, the Mad Dog, will join us to talk all things LSU. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us?
Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now. Hey, it's Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. And that pain in your back, your knees, your shoulder, it can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine using natural biologics. Growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue. It's really exciting stuff. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, giving you access right here to this modern-day joint pain solution. You can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and no surgery. You've heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You've read or seen other high-profile people talking about it. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics right now. 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. Welcome back to a Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. It's all about the Southern Rock today here on the show. 7.35 on Wednesday, which means it's time for us to talk to our buddy, the one and only, the mad dog himself, Mr. Ron Hickens. Ron, good Ron, morning. good morning to you, bud. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So let's start off and let's talk a little bit about this baseball team. Look, beating a below 500 southeastern Louisiana team like a drum, not really something to write home about, right? But Jay Johnson's team does seem like they're starting to have started to turn a corner. They they have played themselves into possibly hosting an NCAA regional. What's standing out to you, the good stuff, about what LSU is doing right now? Just, uh, well, for the starters, not the starting pitching, not the starters, but the, the relief pitching has been, this, it has carried this team. And and quite frankly, it's just amazing. I mean, right now they're, they're tied for third in the SEC at 14 and 10 which is more wins than they had all of last year in the SEC. Uh, and they've done it without really no starting pitching besides Mikel Hilliard. Uh, last weekend in Alabama, uh, their starting pitching, I think, contributed three games, contributed like 4.1 innings, maybe five. That was it. And they won the series. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, they've got three of their pitchers, relievers, are among the top five in the SEC a number of appearances. That's how much they've been using the relievers. Uh, Eric Reisman, uh, who had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago, uh, he has 24 appearances. Uh, Riley Cooper has 23. Paul Gervais, who's 6'10", and who has five saves, has 22. I mean, the relief pitching has been tremendous. The hitting has been really good. I mean, the hitting, they're, 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 uh, they're the second in the SEC in batting average, I think second or third in RBI, second home runs. They hit the ball. They have good relief pitching. Uh, their downfall is starting pitching and, and, and fielding. You know, they're, they're last in the SEC in fielding and first in errors. 
Uh, and then there's, there's, their starting pitching is not very good, but uh, they're great at the plate. They're, they're high in batting average. They're low in walks. Uh, and uh, honestly, they've, they've been, they've been, they've been, they've, they've got all they can out of what they have really, honestly, that, that and it's been amazing to, for them to, th- at this point to be where they are because of no starting pitching. Yeah, Hilliard's your best option. So where do they go? I mean, look, the, the bullpen is great. And Hilliard has been pretty good to sometimes very good. And, and he, he can give you a good five, six innings. But they really, as it stands right now on May 11th, they don't have two other guys they can count on. Where do they go from here, especially if they want to make a run in a regional? That's a good question. I mean, their, their options are, I mean, you know, they, they, they've used a freshman on – Saturday I mean, on Sundays, and he's been okay. Samuel Dalton, but it, I mean, the Sundays is a problem. I mean, and, and, and frankly, Saturdays has been a disaster. Blake Money has been horrible. Uh, Blake Money has not been money. Blake Money has been a lot of spare change. He had just, he hadn't been very good at all. I mean, uh, he's got a 5.04 ERA. I, I mean, there's some options. I mean, I would honestly, would you, you're just trying to get four or five innings out of somebody. Uh, you know, Devin Fontenot has never really been a starter, but he's been a really good reliever. They could go there. They could try him. They could try Bryce Collins, another kid who's pitched pretty well, a 2.96 ERA. Uh, they have a few options, but they, they got to keep trying, experimenting. And, and it, listen, nobody wants to go through an entire year of not knowing a starting rotation. It's, it's, it's unusual. Uh I asked Jay Johnson about it last week. I said, have you ever had a year like this? And he had a year in Arizona like this where he went through a whole year without finding a, a, a really strong rotation he liked, but they, and they still won. Uh, but you can't uh, – there's no way you can get past – maybe even to a super regional without finding at least another starter. And there, there's no way you're going to win a College Bowl Series with this staff. Uh, you, we went a College Bowl series. I mean, anybody who well knows, you got to have. I mean, three pretty good stars and maybe a fourth who's not bad because of the, how many games you play in Omaha. Uh, and I'm not even going to mention the word Omaha with this team. That this team is that that would be like the upset of the year because of, of how of how quickly it can fall apart because of of, of basic poor, still basic poor fielding. You know and uh, the lack of starting pitching. But it has come a long way. And honestly, I mean, 33 and 15 at this point, and 14th in the SEC is not bad considering the SEC. Uh, nobody's won big except Tennessee, and they're, they're kind of struggled lately. So uh, I think overall, Jay Johnson's done a really good job with this team. He's done what he, people thought he would do. I mean, he's a very good hitting coach, and – Again, they're hitting high on average. They're low on walks, so they've uh, they're got good play discipline. It's just that the, the starting pitching and fielding is kind of, this year at least, has, has kind of held them back. Starting pitching is holding them back, but they still have an opportunity because this, the SEC is, as you mentioned, kind of wide open with the exception of what Tennessee's been doing, that they still have an opportunity to finish as a top three team in the league in uh, get that buy for the SEC tournament in Hoover. So how important are these last two weekend series against a struggling Ole Miss team and a, 
uh, a you know uh, a below standard Vanderbilt team. I mean, they're they're very important, I and mean, they they need to finish strong here. I mean, I know Ole Miss has been not this not very good this year, uh, and the LSU needs to sweep this series. It would help to get a sweep, uh, but it is it's a rivalry. I mean, of course, you know, my Bianco, former LSU uh, assistant coach, is been a coach for a long time. He's had a, a, a struggling year. He was an LSU candidate last year for this job, the head coaching job. Uh, and also, I mean, uh, you know, Sun Drew still in the LSU team. And then Vandy is just very uncharacteristic. Vandy's 12 and 12 in the league. That, that's that's uh, usually Vandy is near the top of the league with great pitching. Uh, they're, they're kind of rebuilding a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, these last two are very important. I mean, uh, LSU would do well to get a regional. It's, I mean, host a regional thing and then kind of go from there. Uh, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's – at this point, LSU just needs to keep winning. They're keep kind of keep digging out of that hole a little bit. Uh, but again, that they've done it with 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 relief pitching, probably with the best relief pitching staffs they they you know performances that they've had in a long time. From and I, I give Jay Johnson credit. Uh, he doesn't screw around when he pulls a guy out, and he's he's also big about situations and when to put a lefty in. You know matchups, uh, and it, you know. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I was always a big fan of Paul Maneri. I like Paul Maneri. Uh, and, and Paul Maneri will probably tell you one of Paul Maneri's weaknesses was when he, he hesitated to pull a relief pitcher because he wanted to let kids work their way through situations because uh, a lot of times he liked the kid. Uh, Jay Johnson's a little more business-like and a little more cold-blooded, and, and um, he's averaging about five, pitching, five pitchers a game for the season. He's had a lot of games where he's used seven or more pitchers and then twice, eight or more pitchers. So he's not hesitant to pull a guy. I mean, it, most of the time, if he's walking out to the mound, he's pulling a guy. I mean, even if it's his first visit, uh, he, he, you know, I don't know, he didn't send his, his pitching coach out there a hell of a lot. When he walks out there, he's making a change. So uh, I think he's done a good job this year. And I think LSU fans should – uh, should overall now they're kind of used to him a little bit know what he's about they should be pleased with the job he's done we're talking with the mad dog ron higgins award-winning columnist for tiger details he joins us here on rp3 and company gavin dugas getting back into form it seems like he seems like he's healthy and he's producing in a big way how much of an x factor he can he be for this lineup ron Every, you know he can be a big x factor i mean i mean uh, I think he leads the SEC and, and hit, hit by pitches. I believe, and also he's high. You know, he, when when Gavin Dugas is in the lineup, he makes something happen. That's all there is to it. I mean, uh, that's what he does. He makes something happen, uh, and, and they they need all all hands on deck. Uh, he's always been a clutch player. Uh, he's always been the player that you kind of oh, now now that you've had it. You, you know, add people like Jacob Berry. And we didn't talk about him and his broken, end of his broken finger, uh, how quickly he can get back. But the more people you have on on deck, like, you know, Gavin Dugas, experience, really good clutch hitter, uh, the better it is for this team. All right, bud. Ole Miss is struggling, as we've noted. But... LSU can't afford to drop this series this weekend, as we also noted. But 
what type of challenges can the Rebels still present the Tigers? I mean, because LSU has not been perfect this year. So they, they, they have proven that they can lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. And this looks like it could be a possible trap game for the Tigers, especially with Vandy the following weekend. What are the challenges that Ole Miss presents? Ole Miss has a lot of power. I mean, that's one of their things that they, they, they really come with a lot of power. Uh, Tim Elko is one of the best, you know, power hitters in college baseball. And then they just kept, got to keep them away from the long ball. I mean, they can, they can make up a lot of runs in a hurry uh, because they got, they got power in their lineups. So that, I mean, to me, I mean, they they just, LSU just cannot give up the long ball in this, in this thing. And uh, if they do that, they'll be, they'll be okay. I, I really think LSU can uh, hit on just about anybody. And, and, the, one of LSU's strong points this year is the uh, amount of runs they've scored with two run with two outs. Their, their two out rallies are uh, they scored a large majority of their runs at Alabama with two outs. Uh, so this is an LSU team that uh, it's a good two out rally team. Uh, in the last four or five innings of a game, they'll they'll figure out uh, pitchers and they'll really lay it on them. So the whole thing is if LSU. If they can just get five innings from the starting pitching, just five innings, they're in good shape. So that, that's the key this weekend. I, I mean, it's the key for them all year. All right, bud, I get you out of here with a basketball question. Just how impressive is it the fact that the new men's basketball coach, uh, you know what, I've already asked you how impressive it is that he's able to get these recruits. I guess my question to you is, how in the hell is he getting these recruits to come to Baton Rouge knowing that probation and scholarship reductions and postseason ban is on the horizon, yet he's getting four and five stars and he's getting great players to come and be part of what he's trying to build at LSU. How's he doing it? I think he's selling the fact that we'll say, listen, whether we're in the tournament or not, especially these mid-major kids who, who, who hardly are – who if they're on TV, they don't get a lot of TV exposure – you know, you know, to sell these mid-major kids or, or, or even some of these high school recruits, listen, whether we're in the tournament or not, you're going to be on TV a lot. Uh, you're, you're in a, a major basketball league and you'll get exposure. If you want a pro career, uh, whether we're on NCAA tournament or not this year, you're still going to get exposure and you're going to get playing time because we're revamping the whole lineup. So understand that, I mean, this is a fresh team. You've got a good shot of playing if you come in and, and, and work hard to what you're supposed to do, and you're going to get exposure. That's the only thing he can sell them on because he can't sell them on a tournament because he doesn't know what the probation is yet. And I'm mean, honestly, we don't know how, how much NIL money is available for basketball if they're, if they're able to buy anybody. And, and, I, and, I, and I say that just kind of a matter of factly because that's the way college sports is now. You know, I mean, uh, you buy players. I'm not, and I'm, I'm not saying he is. Uh, we can say, well, Wade did, but but now you can you can you can buy players legally, even though the NC has this sham of a new rule that they're not be able to enforce. But I, I think he's done a great job of convincing these kids. I will develop you into a pro player. You will get you will get exposure. Look what I did for John Moran and. I think that's basically by his selling his his selling point right now, and he's done a great job of it. Mad Dog, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Bye, man. Take care. We'll see you.
Hey, the game is going to be broadcasting live from Lake Chuck. That's right, Lake Charles this Saturday for This Is Home Festival. Under the Dome host, Clint Domain will be broadcasting his show live from 9 to 11 from Ryan Street in downtown Lake Charles for the This Is Home Festival. There's going to be live music all day, food vendors, beer and wine will be available as well. So make sure to tune in for Under the Dome, live from Lake Charles this Saturday. Or you know what? Swing by and say hi to the world-famous CD at This Is Home Festival in Lake Charles this Saturday. We got to take a timeout, wrap up hour number two here on RP3 and Company. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. If you haven't signed up for The Game Clubhouse yet, our rewards club, you need to go do so right now today. Make an appointment. Hey, it's 754. Take a moment. Write it in your planner. Make a note on your phone. Say, got to sign up for the clubhouse today. RP3 says so. Because once you become a member of our clubhouse, this is what's going to happen. First of all, it's free to join. It's easy to join. And then you're going to have the opportunity to win free stuff. Great items. Like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. You got those date night blues? Don't have enough cash in your back pocket to be able to take your lady out for a great seafood dinner? Not to worry. We can hook you up with that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, but we can only do that. We can only help you if you help yourself by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today so you can have the opportunity to score a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Let's take a moment as we close out hour number two here on rp3 and company checking in old poll question of the day it's our foodie poll question of the week what's the best way to eat an egg 40 percent of you say over easy 28 percent a piece say either scrambled or fried four percent of you say boiled texan and katie chimed in over easy on top of a chicken fried steak. What? I, oh, yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's a game changer. I'm liking that comment. I mean, I like everyone's comments because that's just the type of guy I am. But I really like your comment, Texan and Katie Anna. Over easy on top of a chicken fried steak. I do love some chicken fried steak. Ooh, it's so good. So good. Keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Once again, it's our foodie poll question of the week on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. What is the best way to eat an egg? Over easy, fried, scrambled, or boiled? Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update them throughout the final hour of today's RP3 and Company. Two hours are now in the books. What do we have left in store for you, you may be asking? Well... How about Dan Favali? He's going to be joining us in about 30 minutes from right now. Bleacher Report NBA reporter. He's going to give us his thoughts on what's going on in the NBA playoffs. Look ahead to tonight's action as well. But coming up after the timeout, Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, the man who's the play-by-play voice on ESPN Plus broadcast for all things Raging Cajuns. He'll be joining us live from Mobile, the site, of the Sunbelt Conference Softball Tournament. Cajuns are your number one seed. They'll get on the field this morning at 11 o'clock, I do believe. So Dan will give us a preview 
of the Cajuns and the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. We'll also get his thoughts on what he's seeing from Matt Deggs' squad, the baseball team, as they're on the road this week in Texas. That's all coming up next hour. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition. Welcome back to RP3 and Company 802 on this Way Back Wednesday edition of our show. Don't forget to go vote on the poll question of the day. It's the foodie poll question of the week. How do you like your eggs? Do you like them scrambled, fried, boiled, over easy? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Or like to have fun on Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. It's also Wednesday which means the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament has begun. The early games were yesterday, and the Raging Cajuns will get to work today, looking to defend their tournament title, looking to punch their ticket to an NCAA regional as a conference tournament champion. And to break it all down for us is the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, the man who's the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics, our good friend, the one and only Dan McDonald, joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, bud. How you doing, my friend? Well, I like my eggs not thrown at me, personally. <laughs> nice, nice, bud. <laughs> but, but I was just checking the bracket for the softball championships, and I'm trying to find, you know, I don't guess the Doppler 10 sports teams, storm team plays today. Uh, they, they may get a bye all the way to the semifinals, so... Uh, so we'll we'll stick with our regular schedule. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Bud. I always wanted to be on the Doppler ten <laughs> storm thing. Uh, well, I mean, you're you're Dan McDonald. How you have not made that happen? I mean, I can we can make some phone calls. See what we can do, bud. I kind of like storms, as long as they don't blow up things away. I kind of like them. Uh, all right, bud. Let's talk about this uh, raging Cajun softball team because uh, they were very young to start the season. They struggled to beat good competition or competition that was just as good as them or better than them and when things went wrong in games when things went sideways it kind of snowballed on them because they're youth and it was apparent but as the seasons progressed they have definitely matured do you see a a turning point for this team do you what, what was the turning point for Jerry Glasgow's team where they went from young inexperienced team to a team that is starting to play up to their potential well, I don't know if you can point at a particular game or a particular moment. I just think it was a gradual process. But it's obvious to anybody who sees them that they are a better team right now than they were in February. 
Uh, and, you know, it's it's the old thing, the, the cliche in coaching, the best thing about freshmen is that they eventually become sophomores. And once you get to a certain point, you know, you're you're not freshmen anymore. And it's it's been well documented that, you know, they play, you know, four to five freshmen on a regular basis. They had at least one game this year that they started seven freshmen. Uh, so, you know, it, it took some growing up. It took some maturity. But, I, you know, I think this team has done that. Now I'll I'll add the caveat caveat on on that is that you know these they might have played a lot of games and but they're still freshmen and this this morning will be the first time they will have ever played a conference tournament game. Now they played you know they played better competition than they'll probably play you know today and for a lot in this tournament they they have done that this year. But it's just a different situation when you get into tournament play. You could you could see it yesterday. You could really see in the two games that were yesterday the two teams that sort of you know they grasped the moment, they elevated their game, they realized the finality of it. Yesterday was obviously a one and done situation in those two games, and it was very obvious that Coastal Carolina and Georgia State knew that, and they played like it, and they played very well. So. You know, anything can happen in a tournament. I don't care, you know, they yes, they uh they handled Coastal Carolina during the regular season, but, but this is a tournament. The cliche that everybody starts O and O is has never been more apropos. This team also, I think at the beginning of the year they were gonna lean on Lamb to be the ace of the staff. Uh and and she's pitched, you know, okay for them, uh it's pitched pretty well for them, but they ended up finding a younger pitcher someone that has really flourished in the circle how surprised are you by that that it ended up not being lamb that ended up being their number one their best pitcher uh not really surprised because i had heard a lot of talk about sam landry and about uh you know Sharman also about how good they had the potential to be uh and so you know i don't know if there's if you can just point out to any of those three and say you know this one's number one. This one's number one. Uh, I think it just depends on the day. You know, you could, one of them could be on, the other two not so much, and all of a sudden that's your number one that day. I think that that does give the Cajun team an advantage in this tournament because they are probably the only team in the league that has three solid pitchers that can go to and can beat anybody on a given day just by themselves. Now, will they be able to do that? That's another question. You know, again, you're talking about a freshman and another first-year player in the program. So, it, it just all depends. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, it's I, – I don't even know yet who they're going to throw today in the first game. We'll be finding out here in just a few minutes, obviously. But it'll be different to see how, how they will pitch it. And they have already proven, you know, Justin Robichaux, as the pitching coach, has shown that he and Jerry do not hesitate, you know – to bring people in and out of games. And, you know, it, that's a little bit different than a lot of other, you know, softball people do it around the country. But it's obviously been a success for them in the last half of the season. You know, it's uh, it's maybe a little bit more baseball mentality is that you, you go with the hot pitcher, and if somebody's not hot, you bring somebody else in pretty quick. Um, you know, it, it's different, but it works for them. So, you know, you know who, who's to say that that's, you know, that any – situation like that is right or wrong I, you know i mean they can't go wrong with any of the three it just depends on you know who's got it that day 
as young and as inexperienced as this team is this season, they do have some stars that do have valuable experience. Melissa Mayu and others spring to mind. Uh, Reno O'Neill. Uh, how much is Jerry going to lean on those older players, those veterans, the few that they do have during the conference tournament this week? I think he leans a lot on uh, on somebody like uh, Melissa Mayu, who you know, has been around, been through the wars with him, uh, has been through the wars with this team. You know, some of those experienced players are kind of few and far between. They, they're 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 surrounded so much by so many first year players. Sophie Piscos, you know, did play last year. Uh, that's a couple, but you know th- there aren't that many. So that's the ones I think he really leans on to you know to sort of be almost the the go between. That's the person that he goes to to say you know somebody needs to elevate, and that person will go to the other player, to the younger player, and say, hey, you need to elevate. Uh, and you know, but he he doesn't you know he he will use that, but you know he's uh you know he's the He's the hands-on coach. He doesn't mind, you know, getting with players, you know, one-on-one. You know, he'll pull them aside during a game and, you know, coach up and, you know, give strategy, give advice, and mostly try to instill some confidence. Um, you know, the older players, yeah, he has a little more confidence in them, but you know, he also has had the younger players now for, you know, the better part of six or seven months since fall practice started. So I, I don't know if there's a big difference in there is what I'm trying to say, but yeah, you, you do, especially when you get into postseason. The others have been the newer players haven't been through this. We're talking with Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and the man who's the play-by-play voice for ESPN Plus broadcast for Raging Cajun Athletics, Dan McDonald. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Dan, who presents the biggest threat to the Cajuns in the Sun Belt Tournament this week? Is it South Alabama? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know if there is a another team you can point to that, that this is the biggest threat. I know Troy can be very good. Uh, they they proved that because they did beat South Alabama two out of three in the final weekend of the season. Uh, but you look at some of these other teams and what they've done. You know, they they played very well. I was really impressed with how solid Coastal Carolina played yesterday, and that of course is the Cajuns' first opponent. You know. They, you know, they were the nine seed. You know, they played the eight seed in ULM, but they handled them pretty easily. I mean, five of the first six players came to the plate, got base hits. They came out on fire. They came out, you know, energetic, and they, you know, they came out very aggressive at the plate. I don't see them doing anything different today. And you know, it's the uh, it's the type of game that you know, if you get out front early, you know, that that does put pressure on teams. It doesn't matter, you know, who's ranked, who's not. You know, it can put some pressure on. Um, you know, I think that a team like Coastal Carolina is dangerous in a tournament like this. You, you know, also, don't put anything past Texas State. They played very, very well. They're the number three seed. They played real well the last several weekends. Uh, they, I think they have the longest winning streak in the conference going right now. So, uh, you know, this is probably, and I was talking to a couple of conference officials yesterday, this is probably the most wide open this tournament's been Oh, in several years, because for a lot of years you had UL and South Alabama. For a couple of years, last couple of years, you had UL and Texas State. I think this year you've got UL and a handful of teams. I think anybody could get on a run and, and do very well in this tournament. Does Jerry's Glasgow's team need to win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament to get into an NCAA regional, or do you think that's already done a done deal? They already uh, got a spot. I think that's a done deal. I think the only question 
is whether they will go somewhere as a two or a three seed. Uh, you know, because they're they're going to get in. You know, I don't think you know even if they go two and out here, I don't think that could. You know, I don't see any possibility. You know, with uh, one of the tradition that they have. You know, with their you know they're right down there sneaking up on that bottom part of the pole right now again. Um, you know they'll you know nobody they're not going to hurt themselves RPI very much in one or two games at this point of the season. You know I don't they don't need to win this tournament now. The better they do, I think the better their chances of getting you know a higher seed. Uh, you know they could it could be a two. You know there's really not a lot of difference in two and three. It just all depends on where you they send you and who they position you with. And you know we we know that there's a great possibility that they could wind up in Baton Rouge. Great possibility they could wind up in some places that they've been before. So, you know any you know anything you know that, that happens from from here on in, you know it, it's sort of out of their control because uh, they uh, I, I think they're in that they're not going to host. So it's just a matter of you know where the where the committee decides to see them. The, the better they do in this tournament, you know I think the better they will be looked on in that area. Let's switch over to baseball because Matt Deggs' team had some growing pains earlier this season, but they've seemingly kind of turned things around. They're not perfect, right? That They still have their flaws, and he will tell you all about that when you speak to Coach Deggs. But they keep winning series, and they have an opportunity in front of them, Dan, uh, to take on Texas State and possibly win the regular season championship and get themselves a great seeding for the conference tournament. What's been the big difference for Matt Deggs' team in the second half of the season? Uh, I just think it's confidence at the plate. You know, this team, you know, they they thought going into the season that they would hit. And they really didn't hit all the way up and down the lineup early in the year. Uh, Tyler Robertson struggled early. Uh, Max Marshak had a, had a recent slump he's working himself out of. And there were some couple players had some nagging injuries and so forth, and that's still going to be the case. That's the case with everybody at this point, you know, in the season. But you know, I think that there's there's more confidence up and down the lineup. You know, a lot of players are starting to to sniff at that 300 mark. Some of them have been over it. I mean, Carson Rockaport's been solid all year long. You know, I'm I'm not so sure he's not the player of the year in the league right now. Uh, but there's a you know there's a lot of there's a lot of confidence in that clubhouse as far as being able to score runs. And you know, the more you know, the more that a pitcher knows that these guys are going to score runs, the more he can relax. He doesn't have to worry about giving up one run. He doesn't have to worry about giving up two runs because he knows those guys are going to be back. Start of the year, I think some of those guys were trying to be a little too fine because they were concerned that if they gave up two or three runs, that you know that was going to be too many for them to overcome. I don't think that's the case now. They're hovering around RPI-wise of being an at-large team. What do they need to do the rest of the way, Dan, to ensure that they get in as maybe like a three-seed to a regional? Well, this weekend is huge, absolutely huge. Texas State's got the great RPI. They've got the great record. They're ranked. You know, if they can, if they can somehow figure out a way to go to San Marcos and win two out of three on the road, that's going to open some eyes. Uh, they're going to start getting – some uh, some notices from the national, you know, college baseball writers and the different publications, and you know, the committee, you know, they know what's going on. Um, you know, I was talking again to a couple of guys from the conference office, and that we're working on, you know, baseball right now, providing information to the to the regional chair that you know that sort of is a 
person that is the uh, you know is the guy that gets in that room and, and talks about the Sun Belt. Uh, I think that this is a league. You know, I think a lot of people realize this is a pretty good baseball league this year. You know, I would be disappointed if they did not get three teams into the tournament. And wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't get four in, depending on what happens the rest of the way and what happens in the tournament. But for the Cajuns, I think it's this weekend is, you know, you get through this weekend, somehow win two out of three, and then you just try to take care of business from there on in. And and don't go to the tournament and go two and out. I think that's that's kind of a death knell, you know, for really anybody in the league right now that's got a hopes of, of getting to postseason play. But, again, this weekend you cannot – overemphasize how much this weekend means in San Marcos. One more for you, Dan, before we let you go. I've said this on the air, and I just see it when I see them play. This team, when they hit about the halfway point of the season, or maybe a little before then, it finally looked and felt like this was Matt Deggs' team. And it wasn't Tony's old team. And it wasn't you know a transition. It feels like this is Matt Deggs' team. They play the style of baseball that reflects their coach. Am I completely off base there, or, or do you agree with me? Oh, I think that they're getting there. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that they're fully there yet, uh, you know, because, I mean, I have an impossible standard for them. I keep comparing, and everybody should, you know, you keep comparing them to that 2014 team that uh, that Matt was the, yeah. you know, the offensive coach, the the hitting coach and so forth, that, that you know, I mean, there's no question. Yeah, the 2000 team got to Omaha. I don't think there's any question. 2014 team was the best overall team that they've that they've ever had, probably. Um, you know, and they were easily the best offensive team. Um, yeah, and I keep comparing this team to that team, and I show I see signs of them getting to that point. When Marshak came back and was fully healthy, and when he was on a roll, he set the stage for a lot of things. Uh, Connor Kemple, yeah, he strikes out a lot, but he also hits it a long way a lot. Um, there's a there's a lot of guys that you know. I think there's a lot of guys in that lineup that pitchers really don't want to face with guys in scoring position, and that is the symbol of his team. That and, and being able to run and create some havoc on the bases. Um, you know, they're they they do that, and if they can do that this weekend, if they can go to San Marcos and do that. You know, if they can get the running game going, uh, anything can happen over there. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy being on the call for the entire tournament, and uh, well, thank you for making your time. Well, actually, I'm not on the call, although it is on ESPN, the whole thing. It's being produced in the studio in New Orleans, and I'm here in Mobile. I'm sort of the Sunbelt's media coordinator here because the conference office is so shorthanded. A lot of them are in Lafayette this weekend because they're hosting the conference track and field championships. So I'm sort of the conference rep over here. So my man, my the dedication, the dedication. You're a Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer. You could just be chilling at home, but you're like, no, I'm going to help out. Look at you, bud. Yeah, but Look I still can't you. get on the Doppler Ten Storm team. <laughs> well, we'll have to make that happen, my friend. Thank you for your time, Dan. <laughs> Appreciate it. Hey, just a reminder to go visit my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. Look, they are the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. They can also take your outdoor living spaces to another level and help your home become the envy of the neighborhood during game days. That's right. You want to cheer on the Raging Cajuns or the Saints or the Tigers or the Cowboys? 
You need to give my friends a call or go visit Lafayette Marble and Granite. Look, go check out their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it they will. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update the foodie poll question of the week. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company 826 on this Wednesday. True story. It's sharing time. Simple man. That's the song I danced with my mom at my wedding. I'm so Southern. I It's so... so it's, I knew it! It's so Southern. It's so Southern. I know it's immensely Southern to do that, but... Look, man, you can uh, you, you you can take the boy out of the South, but you can't take the South <laughs> out of the boy. And I, I am what I am. I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm just a simple I'm just <laughs> I'm just a simple man from Alabama. So you know, and oh. I remember I brought up my mom's like, "Oh, cool." And I I remember saying to someone, "They're like, you're dancing." I was like, "Yep, simple man. That's what me and my mom are dancing to at the at my wedding." Sure enough. So yeah. That was like Kenneth's top three, but that's not the one he's doing. It's some like almost like smooth jazz type song. I don't even remember the name of it. But it's like a smooth jazz type song. Yes. But smooth, man smooth was, jazz, a little Kenny G, little little uh, little t- uh, Tesh. Huh? Is that, is that what we're see. going out with? Some um, late late eighties, early nineties smooth oh, okay. jazz. Is that what we're going with? That's what it sounds like, but I don't think it is. It's boys to men. <laughs> That's not smooth jazz. That's R&B. It just sounds it's a different it genre. Sounds like it to me. It's a different genre altogether. But <laughs> they first played it, but then again, you played like a whole bunch of songs of like what they're going to be for whatever's going on, like my entrance and all the extra fun stuff. And there are so many songs being played. I mean, it could really be. Have R&B you picked out the song now. that you guys are dancing to? Him and I, yeah. We've picked out Perfect by Ed Sheeran. It's been our song since, like, the start. Aww. Which, um, it actually is five years on Sunday. 
five years on Sunday? Yes. He was like, don't give me any gifts. I said, yeah, you get a gift. He goes, what gift are you going to give me? I said, I'm going to accompany you to the restaurant you're paying for dinner for. He goes, got it. <laughs> like, got it. Uh, my wife and I, we danced to Garth Brooks's To Make You Feel My Love. Aww. Yeah, I know. I know. That's our song. So, so yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, Simple Man. That's, it's, it doesn't get much Southern. The only thing that could have made our wedding more Southern is if we had it catered by Waffle House. And then it'd been, you know. Yeah. Then it'd be the... <laughs> the icing on the cake right the, there. The icing on the cake. And now I think about it, if we ever do renew our vows, maybe I can make that happen. Yep. Be like, cool. babe, guess what? I'm handling catering. Not to worry. What are you doing? Waffle House. <laughs> and she'll probably be like, oh, all right, all right, that's good. You will slow dance at least once, and that's to uh, our song that's going to, like, I'm call- I think it's really cute. It's Somebody's Chelsea by Rue McIntyre. But it's because it's about this, like, this, you know, this older man and his wife's now gone, but he still goes on this like trip every year for the anniversary and then she's passed. But like it's to bring out like the oldest couple that's been married to be the only one on the dance floor. Because the- I was gonna do their song, but the people that have the longest relationship they didn't have a first song. So you're going to play a song mm-hmm. about a widower mm-hmm. for old people at your wedding. For all married couples. <laughs> and the couple's been married the long. It's, it's cute. A great, it's, a, it's a great song. Yeah, it's, it's cute. It's cute. You know what else is cute? What? Our poll question? Our poll question of the week. Eggs. It's the foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do every Wednesday on the Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. We asked you, what is the best way to eat an egg? The best way to eat an egg. We've already had Salty Steve chime in with some fancy omelets that he's found for us, which now I have to put on my list to go check out. Yes. But what is the best way to eat an egg? 37% of you say over easy. That's the preferred way to go. 31% of you say scrambled. 26% say fried. 6% say boiled. See, I do like... A good boiled egg. I like it when it's inserted into a shrimp and egg stew. Ooh. Game changer. Game changer. Clint, the world-famous CD who we mentioned earlier will be broadcasting live his show this Saturday from Lake Charles. There in downtown Lake Chuck. He's, he's chimed in. Scrambled, but also got to go omelet style. World-famous CD chiming in on the poll question of the day. What do you put in your omelet, though? Oh, I like ham. I like bacon. I like meat in my omelet. Like I also like to omelet. have a little, a little spinach and tomato as well. I'm not the biggest fan of the spinach inside of my omelet. I'm there with you on the tomato. Bacon and some like sautéed mushrooms. You lost me. You lost me. I know. You don't like the mushrooms. Oh, I, I hate mushrooms. That. First of all, mushrooms are a fungus. But they're fun guys. Oh, <laughs> we got to tell you. We're ridiculous. <laughs> we are ridiculous this morning. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a timeout. But when we return, we already had one Dan on the show today. How about a second Dan? Double Dan, RP3 and company. We have so many different monikers for our Wednesday show. Dan Favali, our buddy from the Bleacher Report, who covers... The association will join us talking NBA playoffs. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 11th, 2008. Sergio Garcia of Spain claims the biggest win of his career to date in a sudden-death playoff over American Paul Goidos at PGA Players' Championship held at TPC at Sawgrass. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. You can score a pair of VIP passes plus a chance to meet the Cold War kids. That's right, the headliner for this year's Downtown Rising. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The Ultimate Downtown Rising VIP Experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Radar Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Right now, it's time for us to talk NBA playoffs with our friend from the Bleacher Report. Dan Favale joins us now. Bud, good morning. How you been, brother? I am doing well. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Doing great. So... Last night, neither game was really competitive. Easy victories for both the top seeds. My first question to you is this. Are these series now over, in your opinion? Because it sure does feel like the lower-seeded teams exerted all that energy to even up the series, and now the one seeds have swung the momentum back their direction, and now they only have one game to win. Yeah, I mean, we know the stat that 83% of teams tied at 2-2 and who win game five wind up winning the series, so there's that. And there's certainly the feeling of just coming off a blowout. You know, did, did the Heat sap Philly spirit? Did the Suns do the same to the Mavericks? Um, the Philly Heat series, I've gone back and forth on all series. It does feel a little bit more over just when you look at um, kind of Joel Embiid's demeanor after the game, him just playing through so many injuries, Philly having such limited depth. Um, it feels like even with the Heat sort of navigating a Kyle Lauer injury, um, they bring back Duncan Robinson, but then he doesn't really make an impact for a second, so they're relying a lot on Max Struess and some of these other different guys like Gabe Vincent. Um, they just feel like the better, more complete team right now, whereas with Phoenix and Dallas, um, I would be inclined to pick Phoenix and think that this series is over, but I felt the same way after they went at Luka Doncic a bunch in the second half of Game 2. Uh, the Mavericks were able to adjust for that in the the next two games, they got some really good uh, outings from their role players at home, and that could be on the table for game six. So Philly, to me, does just feel done. Um, their offense is at such a disadvantage right now after Miami makes a shot when they're getting back down the court. But I think we've seen the Mavericks kind of punch back enough in this series that I wouldn't say it's over between them and the Suns. 
I want to stay with with Philly because obviously Embiid's not 100% healthy coming off the concussion and the orbital fracture, and he's trying to play through it. Harden, though, had a very good game four to even this series, Dan, but then he kind of just was really a non-factor last night. Overall, from what you've seen from James last year all the way through two, you know, two teams later, are, are, have we seen the are the best years of James Harden's career behind him? I don't know how you could watch him play um, this season and not think that. He is still an incredible basketball player when you look at uh, his passing and then the attention that he's drawing on defense with the ball in his hands, which does open the floor for everybody else. So whether he's not making shots, whether he's not even taking shots, he's having an impact on the geometry of your offense. That being said, as a shot maker, as someone who's aggressive and can get by guys, um, finish through contact, get in the lane and draw a bunch of free throws, he doesn't seem to have that same burst. And then there's the emphasis on the, the freedom of movement um, this year. Has that impacted how he'll be able to draw fouls moving forward? Could he just be dealing with a, a, a hamstring injury still, or has he just been in poor conditioning all season um, since he began the year that way and then he forced his way out of Brooklyn, perhaps? But we're talking about someone who is in his 30s now, and has a ton of tread um, you know, on him, given the, the high usage he played with in, in Houston and then again for a little bit in, in Brooklyn, that we have to come to terms that, yeah, James Harden might still be a star, but is he that megastar, that top five, top ten player Philly traded for? Right now, absolutely not. I'll ask you this. Is Doc Rivers an overrated head coach in the NBA? Uh, I hate saying that about coaches as someone who's not this, you know, tactical genius where I can't do a better job than they are. But there is this element from my perspective where it feels like Doc Rivers is overrated. There's always been qualms about some of his rotations um, dating back to the time uh, he was with the Clippers. Uh, this propensity to really just throw players under the bus when the team plays poorly after games is really just bizarre. Um, and then even looking at Philly specifically. You know, him staying married to DeAndre Jordan for two games in this series, but what was ended up being a mission-critical decision that, that hurt them, not being able to move away from certain rotations or players quickly enough, it does certainly grate on you. And then there's also the backdrop of um, there was some stuff with Stars when he was in Boston. Uh, we know that there was issues with the, the Stars when he was in L.A. Um, is he the right person to lead this team forward when you have another two superstars? Um, when there was also just stuff with Ben Simmons, when you had him and Joel Embiid, I think his future is going to be one that's sort of um, relitigated or addressed uh, once we reach the offseason, depending on how this series ends. I look at Miami Heat, and you could argue they don't have a top 10, maybe not even a top 15 player in the league, even though I think Jimmy Butler's probably on the fringe there for that. But they have a lot of dudes, right? They have a lot of guys that just are just play good basketball. And they're very well coached. Is the success that Miami's having as their one win away from a conference finals appearance, is that a reflection of how the team is constructed or is that a reflection on Spo's coaching ability? There's, it does feel like Spo knows how to push the right buttons, but you do have to give just a ton of credit to the players that they have on their team. Um, Jimmy Butler is constantly like changes his game once he gets to the playoffs. The fact that he can play so unselfishly um, to where he really is looking to facilitate or just put pressure on the defense and open up things for everybody else. Uh, it's it's something that I feel like has flown under the radar too much, maybe because he's bounced around 
um, a few teams over the past half decade. You look at Bam Adebayo, he can be frustrating when you look at his offensive volume, but the, the switch that he gives you on defense and just the tenacity there is absolutely huge. And then you have guys like Gabe Vincent, Dwayne Dedman, Max Struess playing these pivotal playoff minutes. Even Victor Oladipo, uh, the Miami Heat were just super smart to keep him around. They now own his bird rights where they should be able to resign in free agency if they want to. Um, they really fleshed out this roster right down to signing P.J. Tucker with more depth than I think people, including myself, credited them with at the beginning of the season to where if you're missing Kyle Lowry or he's playing a hobbled game and doesn't look himself, you can still win against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. We're talking with Dan Fali of Bleacher Report. He joins us here talking NBA playoffs. Let's stay in the East and let's talk about the celtics Bucks series. It's become pretty salty, which I wasn't anticipating. Uh, Milwaukee has the best player on the court, but the Bucks also don't have Chris Middleton, who is a huge piece of their championship team from a year ago. Boston seems to have maybe better depth. How do you like this series moving forward, including tonight's Game 5? I, I lean towards Boston still, though I have to give a lot of credit to you know, what Milwaukee did to even jump out to that 2-1 to one series lead. Uh, you already pointed out that Boston clearly just has better depth to where Milwaukee's finding itself in moments where it has to rely on a really old George Hill in the fourth quarter or it needs Bobby Porters or Grayson Allen to have these big games that you can't necessarily count on uh, on a night-to-night basis. Uh, Boston specifically does need to make sure that they're keeping um, and limited, uh, keeping Milwaukee out of transition and limiting those opportunities. They've been able to do that through about two, two of these games, which is a pretty big feat when you're looking at who is on the Bucks. And I think the concern that Milwaukee has to have now and should have had all series, and, and we've seen it creep up a couple times this series, is what happens when things slow down to them on the offensive end after Boston makes the shot or after Boston sort of derails a transition opportunity. They're just going into these you know high ball screens for – for Giannis, and then they're not really doing anything after that. Like, there's not someone rolling to the basket. They have guys in the dunker spot who are maybe taking up space um, that could hurt Giannis's drives. It doesn't feel like enough players are standing behind the the three point line. So I'm looking to see if they're going to try some different things on offense and whether they can also get um, better shooting, a better performance from Drew Holiday because they do really miss Chris Middleton's playmaking and even his sort of in between shot making and self creation when you're in the half court because that's very much supposed to be he and Drew's primary responsibility with Giannis. You can run the two-man game with him in those situations. And to remove one of Middleton or Holiday from the equation kind of throws Milwaukee's uh, half court offense fully off its axis. So you still like Boston uh, to win this series. What can be the X factor? You mentioned that you said maybe Drew Holiday needs to step up. Can the Bucks win this series if Giannis just takes over and scores 40 a night? Yeah, they absolutely can because that's what Giannis does sometimes. Oh, it's yeah, um, it's true. It's true. I mean, that's the, he does take over. Yeah, and so look, there's the Bucks are clearly not out of this series. Like I think Game Five will go a long way deciding towards what happened. This series has just been on like a seesaw the the entire time. But um, aside from Giannis, like you're going to need you know those one or two more players to have consistently big nights. And is it going to be Brooke Lopez? Is it going to be Drew Holiday? Do you get better Bobby Portis, Portis minutes? Um, can Wesley Matthews keep playing like this? There's a lot of questions that you start to run in um, looking at their their rotation. And so even if they defend really well, it just feels like Boston at the moment has more counters to what Milwaukee is, is built to do without Chris Middleton. Let's go over to the West. You like Phoenix to move on. 
my big thing about Dallas is they have Luka, who is phenomenal, right? A phenomenal scorer, but they don't have a lot of help around him. It reminds me of LeBron, early era Cavs, or maybe Michael in the 80s, even though I do like some of the pieces Dallas has. What's going to be the biggest offseason priority for the Mavs for Mark Cuban? Is it to bring in another free agent, or how are they going to address that and, and give Luka some help there in Dallas? I think it's going to start with Jalen Brunson's free agency. They have to decide if they want to pay him like he is Luka's second option. And he's, he had a great series against the Jazz. He's been a lot more up and down against Phoenix. They've done a better job over the past three games or so sort of getting him into the lane. Um, but as a smaller guard, is he someone that you want um, to have that responsibility moving forward alongside Luka? And if he's not, you have to figure out how to go out and get that player because you don't have money to spend in free agency this summer aside from the MLE. So do you have the trade assets necessary to get into signing trade scenarios that they open up for Zach Levine or Bradley Beal? Uh, can you get in the trade market for uh, – any star that pops on the market. And if you don't think that offense is your problem because you have Luka, maybe you do think Jalen Brunson is that guy, um, can you kind of make sure that your defense is still going to remain intact from this season where they they were great. I think they were sixth or seventh in points left per possession. I don't think that's the team you look at on paper and assume they'll be there. Um, they did a lot of the little things right. Uh, can you go out and maybe get a better upgrade at center to where you don't have to rely on any Dwight Powell minutes um, or where you're looking at um, Max Cleveland has been great in this series, of course, but where you're looking at Davis Bertans is a potential X factor. Yes, he comes in uh, for 20 minutes, gets up some shots, and, and makes them in, in Game 5, um, but that's someone who's going to uh, hurt you uh, on defense. And they've been a team that's linked to Rudy Gobert constantly. If he becomes available, it'll be interesting to see whether they have enough to get him, or even a Miles Turner if he's still willing to, to trade him. Just maybe someone who elevates your team in some way, even if it's not that quintessential secondary shot creator i would argue though at the moment that the shot creator still feels like the biggest need just we've seen too much turbulence from spencer dinwiddie in the playoffs and i think you want an alternative to jalen brunson someone who's just a little bit bigger and is maybe more inclined um, look brunson's footwork when he gets downhill is fantastic but someone who might be more inclined to hit some off the dribble jumpers from the perimeter all right, bud, only got about 45 seconds before we have to hit the timeout, but I want to ask you about the other series, which looks like it's going to get wrapped up pretty soon, especially with John Morant out with that bone bruise. Golden State looks like they're going to move on. What kind of chance do you give them to not only get to the NBA Finals but win the whole thing? I think it's a high chance. You could make a case that they're the title favorite. I'm not there yet because I think we need to see more offensive consistency from them. They're still that team that can maintain their peak in droves for, you know, these two to six minute stretches, but you need to see them put more complete performances together on the offensive end if you want them to beat a team like probably Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals. Dan, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work at Bleacher Report, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Enjoy the playoffs. You as well. Thanks for having me. Take care. We got to take a timeout. Wrap up today's show. Get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting 
Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May the 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak peek preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests for joining us on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company, where we played nothing but Southern Rock. Shout out to Ron Higgins from Tiger Details, talking all things LSU. Dan McDonald, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and ESPN Plus play-by-play man for the Cajuns, talking Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And Dan Favalli, our buddy from the Bleacher Report who covers the association. Our poll question of the day was, how do you like your ex? Got some more comments here to get to quickly. Robert Duplashan says, a runny egg with bacon and toast. Chuck Savoy says, with a fork, my man says he loves them all. Wants them all. Just give him the fork. He's getting his egg eaten on. I appreciate that comment. But the final results of our foodie poll question of the week. What is the best way to eat an egg? Winning the vote. 36% say over easy. 31% say scrambled. 26% say fried. And 7% say boiled. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who left comments. Some of you left multiple comments. Darren says fried hard twice. And shout out to Steve for giving us an omelet recommendation. Also, shout out to Eric Narcisse, friend of the show. You know him for his work in the Acadian Advocate. My man says deviled eggs, which technically is a boiled egg that you then make into a deviled egg. That's his go-to. That's his favorite. Deviled eggs. He also has come to the defense of mushrooms, which my response to him was, you're now dead to me. So there we go. There went a friendship and a colleague. That's what happens when you're down with the fungi. <laughs> oh, 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 I've got no more love for Eric, though. I've got no more love for Eric. My man's a longtime journalism scribe. i got no more love for him, always. For the producer extraordinaire, mushroom-loving Hannah Five Names. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.